This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get hefty, ultra-strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon. This is Cruise Radio. If this whole thing we're going through right now has taught us anything, it is to always have travel insurance. Get a quote today at tripinsurance.com. Broadcasting from the tripinsurance.com studios in Jacksonville, Florida. This is Cruise Radio. Hey, how's it going? My name is Doug Parker. Thanks for checking out this episode of Cruise Radio, a review of Norwegian Jewel today. Also, Sherry Laskin here with Cruise News and to answer one of your listener questions. Uh, By the way, if you have a listener question, question, drop me a line and we'll get it on the air. Doug at cruiseradio.net. Answering them as fast as I can, I promise. Cruise Radio News, just opposite of here. Stay abreast of the news 24-7, seven days a week. All you have to do is listen to Cruise Radio News, where you listen to your favorite podcast. Or if you have an Amazon Alexa device, just tell her to enable the Cruise Radio News flash briefing. All right, Sherry Laskin is here with Cruise News. Hello, Sherry. Hi, Doug. So the White House has tapped travel executives to help open the country up again for tourism once we do get to that point. Once we're there. So they've tapped three cruise industry executives and they were appointed by the White House to join what's called the Great American Economic Revival Industry Group. So the three men, as you can probably guess, are Mickey Arison from Carnival, Royal Caribbean's Richard Fain and Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings CEO Frank Del Rio. They'll join executives from Las Vegas Sands Corporation, Marriott Hotels, Intercontinental Hotel Group, and other big wigs in hospitality. But also in this economic revival group are representatives from 14 other sectors of the economy. So it's really pretty wide ranging because it includes experts in agriculture, banking, food and beverage, healthcare manufacturing, retail, and sports. What these people will actually do in this group wasn't explained, but I'm guessing it'll probably be um, sort of like a think tank panel Mm -hmm. dispensing advice on restarting the economy until they get some sort of structure set up. That's probably what it will be. The CDC gave some guidance on what cruise lines will need to do in order to sail again. Yeah, and this is going back to what we've spoken about before, The no-sale order was officially filed with the Federal Register um, earlier this week, and it extends until July 23rd. So accordingly, the soonest ships can head out to sea again would be on July 24th. But the guidance, as explained by the CDC, um, is quite, there's quite a laundry list of things that really have to be put into place, and it covers basically the worst-case scenarios. So just to go over them really quick, uh, ships must now create, implement, and submit an actionable plan to the CDC that states how they will prevent, mitigate, and respond to any illness that spreads on board. Ships must have onboard surveillance and monitoring of passengers and crew health through temperature checks and medical screening. And there has to be continuous crew training on how to detect and handle any potential outbreaks. The ship's infirmaries must be able to provide a level of care similar to that of a shoreside facility, 
And they also have to have a supply of ventilators, masks, and PPE. This one's kind of interesting, too. There must be an outbreak management and response plan where ships come to the aid of infected ships, as we saw happen with um, Holland America, Mm -hmm. to provision, provide care and treatment, and also transportation between ships. You know, if, if they have to move ill passengers or healthy passengers from one ship to another for evacuation. And they have to have a specific plan for repatriating passengers, whether U.S. citizens or foreign nationals. And most of all, they have to have some kind of protocol put in place that how they will disinfect and clean their ships if the ship has actually had a serious outbreak. Mm-hmm. So I also want to clarify something. You mentioned the July 24th return to sail date. That can be lifted by the CDC sooner than that. But right now, that's when the 100 days expires. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Right. Um, Sorry and, about that. Yeah, no worries. Uh, and now Carnival Cruise Line is using their ships to take on a new mission. Yeah, this is um, interesting also. So, you know, a lot of us have heard or read stories about thousands of crew members that are stuck on ships and basically they just can't get back home for whatever reason. So Carnival has decided that they will now use some of their ships to help transport crew members back to their home. And the way it will work is that after Carnival's medical team and immigration authorities clear crew members to return home, they'll be transferred to specific Carnival ships. And of course, during the transfer, they will have to wear masks, um, you know, to go between one ship and the other. So just in case they are asymptomatic, they won't spread anything. So while all the ships destinations and the ships actually have not been ironed out, We do know that Carnival Panorama is on its way to Manila, scheduled to arrive on or about May 8th. And other Carnival Corp lines are joining in to get their crew home as well. And that includes eight ships in total from Princess, Holland America, and Seabourn. Yeah, there's a lot of moving parts to get this happening with the Coast Guard, the CDC, and all the appropriate authorities. Yeah, and then they have to be approved by the country in which Mm -hmm. they're going to arrive. So there's a lot of bits and pieces, a lot of parts in play to put this together. Last week, we talked about Carnival Cruise Line pushing their return to service date until June 27th. And now Norwegian Cruise Line, they haven't announced theirs yet, but Royal Caribbean has. Yeah, they did. So Royal Caribbean has extended its return to service date until June 12th. And this also uh, covers Celebrity and Azamara. Their statement says that after consulting with the Cruise Lines International Association and in conjunction with the CDC, they've extended the suspension of all sailings departing on and before June 11th. And those voyages obviously have all been canceled. So guests who've booked can receive a 125% future cruise credit, but they must use that by December 31st of 2021. If someone would prefer a full cash refund, it will be returned and posted to the original form of payment. But be aware, it can take up to 45 days to process. And from letters I've been reading, it's taking even longer right now. So 45 days is probably minimal. Mm -hmm. And Royal Caribbean also started their, this was last month, they started their cruise with confidence program. And this allows guests to cancel their cruise up until September one within 48 hours before embarkation, and they'll receive a 100% future cruise credit, again, to use through 2021. 
It looks like a part of Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings could be for sale in the near future. Yeah, and this is this is a short a short story. So it was recently published in the news, and it revealed that Norwegian Cruise Line Holdings had hired investment bank Goldman Sachs to possibly purchase a sizable stake in the company. According to Reuters, they say that no deal was certain and that other financing options are still being looked at. Both Goldman Sachs and Norwegian Cruise Line, of course, have remained mum on this subject. It'll be interesting to see if the Apollo Group goes back with Norwegian again, because they're pretty bullish on the travel market, but they've been out of Norwegian since 2018. Um, So yeah, we'll see how it goes. These uh, private equity firms and banks have the money the cruise lines need to stay alive. And didn't uh, just recently, didn't Carnival in Saudi Arabia come to some sort of a shareholder agreement also? Yeah, I think they did. So everyone's looking to get financing wherever they can find it at this point. Yeah. I mean, it's their lifeline. It's They're going to either live or die by this. So we want them to live. Listener question time. Email yours to Doug at cruiseradio.net. This is from Ron up in Montreal. We have a nice-sized future cruise credit to go big on our next sailing. What advantages does an aft balcony cabin have over a normal balcony aside from the obvious? Well, <laughs> congratulations, Ron. It's always nice to have a big future cruise credit to use. And when you say from the obvious, I'm assuming that you mean that it's facing aft and not just necessarily the size. I can talk from experience about this. And first thing I can say is three words, four words. You will love it. Um, last summer, I was really lucky and I was able to get on the Radiance of the Seas on a cross-gulf cruise um, an aft balcony. And, you know, I, I, it was like having an extension of my stateroom. Um, you know, even if it's not as deep as you might think it is just having that and no one to look at, you know, when you have one on the side of the ship, you know, you look to your right, you look to your left and all you see are balconies. But when you're aft, you might have, you could be an end aft and have no one on your other side, but there's, you know, maybe three or four of you and that's total. Here's what I would suggest, you know, so so suffice it to say, I love it. I love the view. I love the space. I love the privacy. But be sure um, before you confirm it, and you didn't mention what ship it was on or which cruise line, but get online and look at diagrams of the ship. Look for a ship profile. You can always see a photo of it somewhere. And look to see if the aft balconies are cantilevered like a tier of a cake where it's, you know, one, but goes the other direction. You want to make sure that say you were on the bottom, the lowest deck for the aft balcony. If there are people above you, like a cake tier, you know, like steps, can they look straight down into your entire aft balcony? Or, you know, do you have just like a little bit of space where you're, you know, by the door where you can at least stand outside and not have to look up and have popcorn thrown on your head. And then also use the, the internet and check out, uh, type in the, sh- the ship and your stateroom number. And chances are you will find photos of the exact stateroom that you're looking at. And you can get a really good feel because a lot of the aft balconies have a pillar. I know I was on one Royal Caribbean ship a long time ago. Um, and then right in the middle of the aft balcony was, uh, you know, a huge pillar and to get outside, you, you almost had to walk around it, and it wasn't worth the trouble um, or the, the extra money. I remember when F balconies used to be the same price. But um, 
If you can get an F balcony, go for it. They are awesome. It's my favorite thing in the world. I mean, you get to see where you've been and and then you get to see, I mean, the view is just fabulous. I was on a Holland America ship in Alaska a few years ago and I had a very aft balcony on one of their Vista class ships and I didn't realize it teared up. So I woke up in the morning, we were pulling into like Juno or something and walked out there with my boxers on to see what was happening. And sure enough, people were right above me enjoying their coffee. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, you really have to make sure, I mean, so, I mean, if you could be on the you know, the top most of the aft balconies and chances are, you know, unless it's a sports deck, you won't have, you probably won't have people looking down at you, but the best way to do that is again, look at a profile of the ship in a photo and you can just sort of get an idea as to how many decks are above you. And I just think it's awesome that you might get a aft balcony. They're just wonderful. Been talking with Sherry Laskin from cruisemaven.com. Also, Sherry, thanks again for uh, coming on over the weekend. Oh, that was fun. You know, it's kind of quiet up here in Alaska, so I was happy to jump in and help out. If you have an Amazon Alexa-enabled device, ask her to enable the Cruise Radio News skill so you can get daily updates anytime. Straight from Cruise Radio. A big question we get at Cruise Radio is, how do I know if I need trip insurance? Simple answer. If you're getting on a plane, taking a road trip, or getting on a cruise ship, you need to have travel insurance. Hey, it's Doug Parker from my friends at TripInsurance.com. Not not only does TripInsurance.com protect your vacation investment, but it also gives you peace of mind in case anything were to go wrong on your trip. How do they do it? They offer three different types of trip insurance policies. Good, better, and best. One policy for every vacation budget. But it doesn't just stop there. They're up to 40% lower when you shop around on other comparison sites. Plus, TripInsurance.com offers 24-hour customer support before, during, and after your trip, online claims assistance, and travel alerts to let you know what's going on at your destination. But find out for yourself. Check out TripInsurance.com. Check out our blog, the video page, and interact at cruiseradio.net. So Chris just returned from a 10-night cruise. It was a cruise from Sydney, Australia to Auckland, New Zealand, one off the beaten path here aboard Norwegian Jewel. Chris joins us on the line. Hey, Chris. Hey, Doug. How are you doing? Good, buddy. We've never had a Australia cruise, so you are the, the first here. So I'm excited to talk all about the cruise, the ship, and all the good stuff. As always, we'll take a step back. What made you want to take this 10-night cruise? Was this like kind of a bucket list experience for you? Kind of. My wife and I love cruising. We actually met on a cruise. Wow. So uh, we wanted to try something a little bit different than North America. And Australia and New Zealand was on our list, or maybe maybe Europe, or just someplace a little bit different. What actually sent us that way is I'm kind of a points and miles nerd. And mm-hmm. if you know anything about it, it's really hard to find business class flights. Yeah from the United States over to Australia. And I was able to find um, some dates on Qantas to send me over there in points and miles in business class that kind of coincided with the cruise date. So we ended up booking it. Actually booked the flights before the cruise, believe it or not. <laughs> nice. You said you met on a cruise. What ship was it? <laughs> it was the Diamond Princess, oh, okay. believe it or not. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, luckily we weren't on it now, but it were, we met on an Alaskan cruise. We were both with each other's families. and. Uh, wow just ended up hitting it off that's so cool so you're over in minnesota what kind of pre-cruise time did you do over in sydney australia because it takes like what a day to get there yeah and you lose you lose a day we left on new year's eve and landed on january 2nd if i recall right so it's a long long trip 
We had two full days in Sydney. The first day, we, we rented some road bikes from a place called uh, Livio Tours. Mm-hmm. And it's a private tour with uh, just the guide and whoever you want to be in your party. And we, we biked around probably 30 miles around Sydney and saw kind of all the highlights. And then we went to bed at like 6 o'clock that night yeah. because we were jet-legged. And then the next day, we did our own kind of a running tour again around the city. And we went to a mini zoo that they have right down there in Darling Harbor. So you can see kind of the highlights, kangaroos and, you know, wombats and all that good mm-hmm. stuff. It was pretty pretty fun, but it's a little small, and there's not a whole lot in there. If you have the time, you're probably better off going to some of the bigger zoos in the area. Yeah. Did you get to hold a koala bear? No. Apparently, in in that province, it's illegal to. Right, yeah. We did take a picture right up next to them. They don't move a whole lot. <laughs> they just kind of stand there and don't do much, maybe eat a, a leaf now and then, but they were cute to see. The kangaroos were a lot more active, which you can kind of walk around with them in that little park area that they have there but if you if you do have the time from what i heard it's really worth it to get out of the city into some of the nature reserves where you can actually get to interact with the animals a little bit more and it's not so you know touristy being right in sydney like that yeah i have it on my bucket list to hold a koala bear and i was reading when i was researching that some provinces or states whatever they are you cannot hold them but others you can um so all right outside of that you can i believe yeah so very nice. Um, so you make your way to the cruise pier. How was embarkation for Norwegian Jewel? It was really, really smooth. We ended up a little bit past our, our scheduled time, and we walked right on. One interesting thing, uh, the porters there didn't accept the tip when I tried to tip them. So I don't know if that must be a cultural difference or something. But uh, we walked walked right on the ship. It was smooth sailing. Nice. What were your first impressions when you boarded Norwegian Jewel? Really modern. I believe it came out of dry dock in 2018, and you kind of walk into the atriumish area, and everything was really modernly designed and and nice. I was just kind of excited and started running around the ship after that to see everything. My wife went up to the pool. Did you just get back, like, in January? Yeah, we got back on, I believe, the 13th of January. Were the fires an issue for anything you were doing? Yeah, so... When we landed, you could see smoke everywhere. And actually, the biggest thing we saw from the fires was on our second sea day, because it takes three days to get over to New Zealand from Australia. The the mm-hmm. sky was bright orange until like three in the afternoon. Just the way you know the winds were, or whatever. It was it was really really intense. Wow. And the, you know, meeting a lot of the the people on the cruise were from Australia. Mm-hmm. Some of them, you know, had go bags ready for when the fires got to their houses, and it was pretty scary for them, for sure. For sure. Um, So back on the ship, you make your way to your stateroom. What kind of stateroom did you book, and what did you think of it? So we booked a obstructed view, ocean view room, and they upgraded us, I'll say that in air quotes, to a porthole room on the, the fourth deck, which is the very bottom, and almost all the way forward. Uh, the room itself was was very small, but well appointed. I would say, because I think it's because of the recent uh, remod that they had. The bathrooms were probably the highlights. It had actually a separate room for you walked in, and to the left was the shower with a glass door, which was nice. Mm-hmm. And on the right, the toilet actually had a door that you could kind of close to. 
so that was nice. But the space itself was small. My wife actually liked it because it kind of forced me to be a little bit more neat and tidy than I would normally be. <laughs> but it did the job. Being on the bottom floor like that, it was really loud crossing the Tasmanian Sea because, mm-hmm. you know, the waves are right there against against the porthole. I remember you guys saying a couple episodes back, it was like a washing machine. It was kind of that, yeah. you know, looking out. Jewel did a dry dock in 2018, I believe. Yeah, I think so. Urban added some things to it. Let's talk about the restaurants on this cruise. Of course, Norwegian is known for their freestyle cruising. You can eat when you want, where you want. A reservation is required most of the time. So let's start in the like their main dining room area. So there's no like set dining times. How was your experience in there? It was really nice. There's two main dining rooms. One's called Tsar's Palace, and the other one, I want to say it's like Azul or something like that. And we actually ended up in Tsar's Palace the whole time because it was the same menu, but Tsar's Palace had a really nice uh, aft view of the ocean, and the other one was just kind of tucked away. They had the same menu at both places. The service is really good. The food was so-so, I would say. Mm-hmm. I thought it was okay, but I just got off of the Navigator a couple of weeks later, and I thought that the food was actually better on the Royal Caribbean ship than, gotcha. than this was. But all in all, it was good. The variety was really good. All right, let's talk about the buffet area. How was the, what do they call it, the Garden Cafe? I think so. The buffet was okay. It was really crowded. Most other ships I've been on, it kind of the buffet kind of takes up the whole width of the ship. Mm-hmm. In this one, it was only half. Okay. So it really bottlenecked everybody. It was it was really long and skinny as far as the seating went, and uh, the food variety wasn't as as vast, I guess I would say, as some. But the food itself was good. And if you kept walking all the way to the back, they have a great outdoors bar and buffet area, which is usually a lot calmer once you fought your way through everybody else to get back there. I'm trying to think. On that class of ship, there's, like you were saying, normally a Lido deck buffet is you know from port to star but this is cut in half and isn't there like specialty or something back up against the other wall yeah there is and you can you can sit in there the italian restaurant is la cucina right yeah yep and you can sit in there if if you want to but it it's kind of weird to get back there and it just i didn't think much of the crowdedness through the buffet area yeah i gotcha did you do any specialty restaurants on this 10 night cruise yeah, we did. We did teppanyaki one night, and that was fun. I'm, I'm guessing it's, it's just like a land teppanyaki to me. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was a good time to just kind of break up the monotony of doing the same restaurant every night. We usually like the main dining room well enough, so we don't do too many specialty restaurants. But we did do that one night. Norwegian is known for their perks. Did you have any like drink package or anything like that? Yes, yes, we did a drink package and internet. Okay. Instead of, you know, a lot of people would pick the dining, but we we went with the internet just so my wife could stay connected with the job, and we have a kid at home and whatnot. So. Gotcha. Very good. How was the entertainment on this 10-night cruise? It was kind of hit and miss. I didn't think much of the production shows, but to be fair, I'm not really into them. I, I walked out of a couple. My wife loved them, so I guess take that for what you will. Uh, there was an acrobatic couple from Russia that was really, really cool to watch, and a magician that I liked a lot. Also, there was a tap dancing group called the Tap Pack that I thought was kind of fun. Mm-hmm. That's something a little bit different from what I've seen on other cruises. They also had some not-so-good acts. There was a comedian in this yo-yo trick guy that would do tricks with yo-yos <laughs> and tops that 
was not much to see, but but they did they did I thought thought, thought a pretty good job for being that long of a cruise, and I learned that the entertainers just do one show and then they're on the cruise for the whole ten days, which I thought was pretty crazy. They didn't switch boats or anything like that. That's a pretty good gig, huh? Yeah, I guess so. I didn't really <laughs> saw, saw the the magician around a couple times on the ship hanging out, and he seemed like a pretty good guy. And, yeah, yeah. Wow. All right. Uh, how about the casino on that ship? Uh, as far as the smoke in and around it, and it was pretty bad. And it never really bothered me on most other ships, but I remember thinking of you, actually. I'm like, yeah, smoke is bad. This is what Doug's always talking about. But you don't have to go through it to get to anything. The only thing you might have to go through it is the main theater, but if you went up a floor, you could still get in the main theater there. So you could avoid it completely if you wanted to. Outside of the casino doors, I never smelled anything, or I don't think there was any issues. Gotcha. How was the ship on sea days as far as crowds and congestion? They were fine. Except, like I was saying, in the buffet, there weren't hardly any congestions anywhere. You could, uh, mm. you know, always find a lounge chair. Something that my wife and I did on this cruise that I didn't never really saw or cared to see, I guess, on other cruises is we did uh, and like an exercise package, a group exercise class okay. package. You know, they always have those classes that they charge extra for, and that was that was kind of nice to do that, especially on the sea days because there were three in a row you know, burn off some of the calories from the sure. food the night before. One thing I will say about having those three sea days to start, it was kind of boring at times. I didn't mm-hmm. think that the activities and things for the sea days were, you know, as plentiful as they usually would be on a cruise ship. Yeah. So I don't know if that's just Norwegian or maybe some of the longer ships are just kind of like that where they expect people to I wonder, was that like a demographic thing? Was there, like, was there a lot of families and kids on there, or was it a mixed bag? No, there weren't many families and kids at all. There was mostly retired people, I would say, Mm -hmm. and there was, you know, maybe 20% under 50. Uh, It was was definitely an older, skewed older crew, but... But, you know, it was still fun to talk to everybody, and we still yeah. had a good time with it. There weren't any, you know, belly flop contests or sexiest <laughs> man competitions or anything like that, which, you know, I thought maybe they could have thrown one or two of those in with it being such a long trek over there. Yeah. But So let's talk about the ports of call you went to. What ports did you go to? And give us a highlight from each one. Our first stop was supposed to be in Dunedin, and that was after that we were supposed to go to the sounds off the south of the island, and that's kind of the highlight. And we missed that, which upset a lot of people. Luckily, there was no mutinies or anything like on that other Norwegian ship. But uh, we ended up going to Wellington for our first stop, which wasn't scheduled. Uh, another thing I'll say is they end up skipping those sounds off the south of New Zealand like every other cruise the crew was saying. I actually was talking to two separate couples that this is the, that was their second time doing a similar cruise, and they've actually missed the sounds both times, which oh, is wow. really a bummer for people because you can only see them by boat or airplane. There's not really a way to see them by land. Mm-hmm. So anyway, our our first stop was Wellington, which is the capital. And what we did there, being that it was last minute, we just found a TripAdvisor half-day tour and kind of saw the highlights, which was fun. They have some beautiful botanical gardens there that we, we saw and a trolley ride that goes up and down through them. Uh, Their next stop was uh, Akaroa, and this was probably my favorite stop. What we did there is we did some sea kayaking that was actually in a penguin sanctuary. So there were a few penguins around. Most of the penguins actually are 
only around in the morning and in, at night, but we did see a couple bobbing their heads up and down and yeah. the baby ones that were, you know, in the nests and whatnot. We saw a lot of, uh, of sea lions there. And if anyone's interested in that, I think it was called uh, Pottawa Penguin Sanctuary. Mm-hmm. We booked that on our own as well. In Picton, which is our next stop, we rented some mountain bikes on our own, and the place is just littered with mountain bike trails. So my wife and I just got a map and, you know, went mountain biking. We ended up getting some suggestions. There was a trail that went right all the way around our cruise ship, which was which was really neat, and up and down the mountains, some great views. Uh, the next stop was was Napier, and Napier's kind of interesting because it was totally demolished by by an earthquake, I want to say in the 30s or something. So it's all been rebuilt since then, and it's built mostly in the Art Deco style, so it's really similar to like Miami Beach would be. And we just kind of did our own running tour around there. There's not as much outdoorsy stuff, from what I could tell, in in that town. It's a lot flatter than most of the other places in New Zealand. I did have some friends that went to some wineries and things in that region. I think that's where most of the wine comes from, so if that's interesting to people that they enjoyed that. Next stop was Tauranga, and for that, we actually rented a private tour to a place called the Watmoro Caves, where they're actually called Glowworm Caves. So we, we did a tour through them, in those caves they have, which are kind of like firefly larvae, all along the ceiling, so the ceilings glow through the caves, and you, you ride on an inner tube through the water, through the caves. Uh, that was fun. I enjoyed it. My wife didn't. Right when we, right when we got in the water, there was an eel <laughs> that the, the guide was throwing us. That kind of threw her off a little bit. It was a two-hour drive to get there, so I don't know if it's worth it to people or not, but I, I enjoyed it. The other three people that went with us didn't really. Met some friends from Chicago that went to go tour Hobbiton, you know, where the, the Hobbit and the Lord of the Rings film mm-hmm. was filmed, and they, they said that they really enjoyed that, so that might be another option to do in that port. And our last stop was Bay of Islands, and in that stop, I actually, my Vikings were losing to the 49ers that day in the playoffs, so I went and found a sports bar and watched football all day. <laughs> but my, my wife my wife went to the beach, so that's something that, to do there. And then finally we landed in Auckland. Uh, we didn't have much time there. I ended up going to the top of the Space Needle, and my wife just found a cafe to work at for a little bit. And then we got on the plane and flew back home. So Auckland, that's kind of close to where that White Island volcano exploded, right? In uh, in December? Yeah, and so was uh, Tauranga, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. That, okay. That's pretty close, too. Like, I think I'm going to say within 50 miles or something like wow. that. Gotcha. So, yeah, there, that's all. the whole island is, is on, like, a fault line, and there's volcanoes everywhere, some active, some not. You know, I think that's how it was. the whole island chain was, was formed, kind of similar to Hawaii. So yeah. that's the one downside of living there, the locals were saying. One nice thing about the cruise, too, is that I would say 80% of the people on the ship were either from New Zealand or Australia. So we really, even though we didn't get to meet as many locals while we were on land, the whole the whole ship was filled with them. So yeah. it was really, really cool to get to know more about the culture through them. I actually learn more about cricket than I ever have at any <laughs> American cruise, you know, when, when cricket's on those TVs, I actually learned how to, the game worked and everything was kind of fun. Yeah, it's also nice to be cruising on the other side of the world and there not be a language barrier either. Yeah, exactly. 
exactly. You know? That's really very true. Yeah. There wasn't, yeah, most, most everyone was from Australia and New Zealand. A few, a few people from England and America, but not many. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So you make your way back to Auckland. Um, how was it as far as, like, how was disembarkation with customs over there and getting to the airport? It was fine. Everything, everything was was really, really smooth. One of the questions they asked us when we were getting off if we were doing any hiking, so we checked yes, and they ended up taking us through secondary screening because we might have some dirt on our shoes or something. But mm-hmm. but besides that, it was it was pretty smooth. We waited till we were pretty much the last ones off the ship, but it was it was nice and smooth. Any first time tips to offer for someone considering taking an Australian cruise? I mean, that's like, you know, other side of the world. Like, any tips for the points, when to look, anything, you know, to redeem those miles? Yes. So, a tip I would have if you if you have the stomach for it is um I booked it on Alaskan airline miles with Qantas and it's only it's actually only 50,000 miles each person each way in business class to get from the United States to Australia, which, if you know anything about points and miles, that's a, that's a screaming deal, yeah. I think. But the availability is really sparse. So if you have the stomach for looking at a bunch of different dates, that's that's kind of a piece of advice. Some more advice would be don't ever miss the sailaways. They're absolutely stunning. Book your own excursions because everything over there is in New Zealand or Australian dollars, and it's a lot cheaper you know, to book directly through them because you're not paying in American dollars because I think... You know, one dollar's worth about a buck twenty-five, give or take, yeah. in Australian. And one more piece of advice would be to bring a no-fee debit card. Mm-hmm. Uh, the bank I use is SoFi, but that kind of adds up. You know, if you need cash to pay different tour guides or whatnot, that's nice not to have that fee. And make sure your credit card doesn't have any foreign transaction fees too when you're over there. Yeah. So that would be my advice. That's why I like my American City card. There's no foreign transaction fees. Exactly. Yeah, it's, that makes it makes a big difference, and you might not think about it because yeah. some some have it and some don't, and they'll add up when you're over there because you don't want to yeah. carry a whole bunch of cash. Looking back, what was the biggest highlight of this whole experience? I mean, I'm sure you had so many of them. Yeah, the, the scenery was absolutely stunning. I guess the biggest two would be just meeting all these great people. The Kiwis and the Aussies are so friendly. It's like from Minnesota, so it's just like you know Minnesota nice over there. We like mm-hmm. to joke around about, but. Another thing was being gone that long, it was nice with my wife to just kind of, you know, spend that much quality time together as opposed to being on most of our cruises are, you know, three or four days. And it's just, right. you know, get on there, have some fun and get back to work. But but it was really nice to really unplug for that long of a time and spend some quality time with her. Yeah. I'm curious because you've sailed, you said you sailed Diamond Princess in Alaska before, and I always see Norwegian Jewel sailing Alaska as well. Would you say Jewel is a good Alaska ship as well? Yeah, it is. There's a lot of, a lot of windows. I think with Alaska, it's, it's mostly being about, you know, you want to see everything. And I never, you know, never felt claustrophobic. I've been on some ships that I felt like there wasn't enough, you know, access to the sea. And I think I didn't mm-hmm. feel that way. On this one, I don't think Celebrity Summit, I really felt a little bit claustrophobic. But this one, I felt open, and that was the main thing. I really liked that great outdoors bar in the back to see the scenery. Yeah, it's nice. Well, in closing here, your final thoughts of Norwegian Jewel. It's a great ship. I like the size, kind of a medium-sized ship. I don't really like the big ones, and I don't like the really tiny ones. 
the layout's a little bit funny, but you get used to it in a hurry. I mm-hmm. uh, would definitely sail it again, and hopefully I'll someday get to sail the itinerary again. I think that was mostly the highlight. Yeah, that class of ship is kind of laid out pretty funky. Like, you have to really it, – it takes a couple of days to get used to it because you have, like, the Asian place and the French place kind of together. One's upstairs, one's downstairs. And then you have, like, the atrium and different – I think the, the – uh, what, the local or Oshihans, whatever they call it, over there. So, yeah, I agree. It's, it's kind of um, – takes a little bit to get used to, but it's a great ship. I, that's my favorite class of ship, actually, with Norwegian. Really? Yeah, it is. The atrium's kind of a center place, but then there's, like, like you were talking about with the, where the Asian restaurant is. Mm-hmm. There's, like, a bar district with three yeah. different bars all lined up. And it's, it, is, it is cool once you figure out your way, way yeah, around just- it. So maybe that's why they have it on 10-day sailing, so you have more time to figure yeah, it out. Yeah, exactly. We've been talking with Chris about his 10-night cruise on Norwegian Jewel from Sydney to Auckland, New Zealand. Chris, thanks for stopping by and sharing this, my friend. Thanks, Doug. Have a good one. All right, Dougie. Let's see what we got here, buddy. ba 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 da ba da Cruise Radio is produced weekly in Jacksonville, Florida. For partnership opportunities, email Doug at cruiseradio.net. Hear Cruise Radio on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, the Stitcher Radio Network, Google Play, or at cruiseradio.net. I'm your announcer!